The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. It is the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark. Joined for a Japan Grand Prix recap. Not only are we still a little bit confused, Max Verstappen is the world champion. He's confused. He won the race. Tim Haraney is here with me. He is a TSN contributor. He's a former race car driver. Although, I guess, you know, it's like a president. You're kind of always a race car driver once you're in the mix. Tim, what's going on, brother? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, appreciate it. It's been a while. Uh, I-, I would like to know... How big are Miles Teller's arms? Are they like huge? Like is he okay? So he's he's still jacked up from from Top Gun, right? You never again. That's like that's it's like an honorific. You're always jacked for the rest of your life <laughs> once you train for Top Gun. Um, wow, Tim. Um, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you know a lot about how to drive a race car. Uh, mm-hmm. This was a wet race. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that this was one of the strangest endings I think anybody's ever seen. Um, so Max crosses the finish line. Max says, good race for the fans. Crawford says, well, he can't win the world title. And then there's a five-second penalty applied, Charles Leclerc. And within that, that means Sergio Perez is second. And so Johnny Herbert, in the middle of the post-race interviews, tells Max Verstappen he is world champion. And Max Verstappen says, are you sure? Um, he then goes over to celebrate with his crew. And then Johnny Herbert doesn't know what to do, so then they interview Leclerc. And I, this is, this is there's so many things to, to get into here. One of them is that, so after Belgium, the Belgian Grand Prix in 2021, which we all hate, one of the worst uh, w- rain races of the last few years, they basically did a parade for a couple laps, tried to charge the fans full fare, a lot of controversy on that. Um, and, and there was a points controversy from, from there. So after this, uh, we found out that they had changed the rules to where full points were awarded after a race finishes, even if it's abbreviated. 
So that's what happened here. They changed the rules, further compounding the confusion. According to Andrew Benson of the BBC, is that it seems, and this is a quote from Andrew Benson, it seems the protocol was inadvertently left off the rules when they were rewritten last winter following the controversial Belgian Grand Prix when a result was declared despite no racing taking place. Christian Horner, Red Bull team principal, said this was a mistake and he was certain the rules would be revised over the winter. Woo. This is Can not... Make, Tim, can't make that up, man. You can't make that up. This is not, Tim, how you want your world champion declared. I mean, if we think about how, I guess, Verstappen was declared world champion in 2021, and now we take a look at how he's declared in 2022, I mean, a little part of me kind of feels bad for the guy, <laughs> just simply because of how it kind of goes down. Like, he can't really even really enjoy it because there's always controversy surrounding his championship wins so far. So feel kind of bad for him on one point, but um, this was such an odd thing to happen at the end of a Grand Prix. We were in the Sports Center newsroom. I was getting ready to go up and do some live television. And then all of a sudden, Max Verstappen's a world champion. The whole newsroom explodes. Everything drops. No one understands yeah. what's going on. It all simply because of a loophole in a regulation that wasn't fully written out. Like, Kevin, you can't make it up, man. It's unbelievable. So <laughs> the quote afterwards was Verstappen found it quite funny that he had no idea if he won the title. Uh, he said, quote, the main target was to win the race. He crossed the line and said, okay, amazing race. Good points to get, but not world champion. Mm -hmm. Then this is the quote. I did my interview after the race. Suddenly my mechanic started to cheer and I was like, what's going on for me, Tim, I feel bad for him. And I don't, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually eliminating 2021 from, mm -hmm. from the discussion here, because obviously mm -hmm. now this is two years where he's celebrating mm -hmm. in, in kind of a confusing way. Right. Yeah. Um, and even it was obviously clearer that he'd won last year, but there was still controversy where mm -hmm. there going to be appeals, all of that stuff. Okay. So, but I, I do feel bad that, that, that this happened more so for the fans. Like think about us watching any, any title decider in any sport, Stanley cup, they come, you know, they go on the ice, they go crazy. Mm -hmm. They lift the cup, all that stuff. Um, any sport is much, much, much clearer what happens. And normally in this sport, it's much clearer what happens. To win on what's mostly a technicality, to be confused when you're being told by Johnny Herbert in the post-race press conference that, you, that you've that won. Like that to me, think about it. I was just listening to the guys on the race to do immediate post-reaction and, and post-race reaction. They were saying, like, you know, normally it's Crofty's got some epic line and, and there's graphics and, and, you know, you get to show you know, Adrian Newey and, and, and Christian Horn and all these guys celebrating. And it was crazy to me, Tim, to see kind of a walk and talk between Ted Kravitz and Adrian Newey, totally subdued Christian Horner coming on and saying, uh, you know, I, we don't really know how that happened. All that stuff. I mean, Horner did the radio message and had to do the normal amazing drive. Max, this was great. Like there was no celebratory tone. And I just, I don't know how you do it. Obviously. I mean, there would have been a way to massage it where they don't give the five second penalty. I mean, that I, I don't know. Again, it's like we talk about NFL referees all the time. They're graded on getting every single call right. And, it, and, 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 and their job is in the line if they try to massage something like this, right? And so it would be further controversy if a penalty wasn't applied. But I just feel like they should have done something. Or by the way, even just let everybody know this was the new rule and that Max 
as long as uh, Checo finished second was going to win the title. I just feel like mm-hmm. it's a, a communication problem, a pageantry problem. I le- I found myself Tim quite disappointed. Yeah, I mean it was kind of from top top down, right? Like like you said. I mean even on the 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 race broadcast, I think they were even a little bit confused as well trying to figure out where to go with with, with all of it. I mean, you were kind of waiting for that moment you know, throughout the weekend where you could definitively sit there and say, okay, this guy's going to win the world championship and mm-hmm. the party's going to be pretty awesome afterwards. But instead, what we got was, like you had said, you know, so much confusion. So I think even though it's hard for the some of the fans to simply enjoy and digest and to really understand, I mean, even for like people who work within the industry were absolutely confused and didn't even know what was going on. And like even top broadcasters who have been doing this for, you know, decades, they were even confused as well. And I think, you know, that just boils down to how I think too much, there is too much regulation within the sport itself. Mm -hmm. And it is a conversation that, you know, we have, have had, on many occasions on my podcast, on television, everywhere, simply because you know the, the 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 way that this rule book is designed is you need a lawyer to go through this thing and to help <laughs> people even understand the wording of everything. And so it's a great analogy that you make when you kind of compare it to another, you know, sport like hockey, NFL, NBA, like where things are just a little bit more watered down, diluted, easier mm-hmm. to understand. And I think that's something that moving forward. Uh, F1 like really needs to take a look at because the American audience is getting way bigger and the appetite for the sport, like you had mentioned, is growing massively. And I think you need to try and find ways of distilling this, watering it down so you can deliver it a little easier to to fans so they can leave their feelings satisfied, not leave their feelings down. Yeah. And you just can't have everything be a bureaucratic nightmare at the end of the year. Like that's important. We should not be talking about the rules and regulations of the sport as much as we do. I mean, I think, and listen, in the moment, it's hard for them to do this, but the NFL yes. does an amazing job of communicating every scenario all the time, yes. all the time. And just saying, here's how so, so-and-so clinches first. Here's how they clinch second. Here's the live scenario. And I just feel like there was a failure of that. And it cost yep. F1 a moment. I mean, Max Verstappen, yeah. depending on how you feel about Max Verstappen, like that, that, that should be, that should be secondary to the fact that, he is a great young driver. He's a great young champion. They were asking helmet marker afterwards if he's aiming for for Schumacher and and trying to get eight. I'm like, that's the conversation. And we're always going to be talking about the time that Johnny freaking Herbert was the one who informed him five minutes after a race that he won the world championship. I just feel like it it, it, it leaves a sour taste in everybody's mouth. Um, I want to get into Max and what this what Red Bull did this year, what this means for him, uh, and what what we learned about him this year, frankly. But I also want to talk about Pierre Gasly, um, because that was also a flare-up that happened today. Um, so if you didn't see, basically, uh, Gasly had a near miss with what he called uh, a tractor. He was very upset. Um, he was punished. Uh, he got two points, uh, two penalty points, which mm-hmm. at some point would lead to a ban, but he will actually have it. Uh, he had an incident a year ago with Fernando Alonso. It's about to come off the book, so he's not actually in re- real danger of, of a ban. But he was very, very upset. Um, it just seems to me, Tim, like this this race was a bit of a, a shit show. 
Yeah, it was, uh, it had kind of everything, you know, I remember, you know, I got home at like six in the morning from this thing and trying to explain everything to, to my girlfriend, like what happened, uh, (laughs) over the, over this race was like, it took me a half an hour. So I, the, um, yeah, where do you want to start, man? Like, like the Gasly thing, uh, you know, once I saw some video of that, man, I was like, oh my God, like, what are they, what are they doing? So if you go back to, you go back to Singapore, um, the drivers actually something similar had happened uh, at Singapore where there was actually a recovery vehicle coming out onto the track and the drivers had a huge issue with it. So they took it up with the, uh, uh, with the race director this weekend, uh, about that and simply stating to the race director that, you know, there shouldn't be any other vehicles out on the mm-hmm. racetrack. If there is a, uh, safety car, full course caution, or red flag. It should just be the race needs to be neutralized. Cars either need to be circulating um, underneath the safety car together, or the car needs to be parked in pit lane. And then you bring the recovery vehicles out. If you think about Monaco, for example, mm-hmm. there are cranes like they have it so set up and so dialed in that there are cranes that just lift cars up and move them out of the way, you know, relatively safely. And then, you know, you come to some of these other races and they have like recovery vehicles coming onto the racetrack. And I think we're at this point now where they should be able to think of something different to remove cars that are stricken and off the track and in a compromised area. There should be other ways of getting this done without having to bring recovery vehicles out onto the the racetrack. And it was such a weird thing to see. I think like on the same, the same point, you know, Pierre was going like, too quickly for sure. Too quickly. I mean, there's, yes. there's no, no question not about full that. Speed. Not full speed. Not full quick. speed, but still way too fast. And yes. uh, that being said, there still should not, that still should not have gone down. There still should not have been a recovery vehicle out on the racetrack when there is a live Formula One car uh, on the track as well. And that's something that, you know, these drivers, uh, they're going to bring it to them next race. Um, and they're going to let them know like what they think about this. And so they're going to have to work with the drivers on how to sort this out. So things are a little bit safer for these guys out there. Okay. So the first couple of laps before the, uh, the, the red flag and then the eventual restart, absolute chaos in this race. Uh, and it seems to me, Tim, Part of this was that they just there were some drivers who just refused to do wet tires that they were okay with the threat of hydroplaning. Can you just take yeah. us through uh, yeah. what, what you saw from those first couple of, of laps and and what what role the, that that the wet the lack of wet tires played? Yeah, the drivers don't necessarily like uh, the full wet tires that 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 are offered. Um, one of the reasons is it's hard to generate enough temperature in the tire to actually get it working. So a lot of the mm-hmm. drivers really prefer having that intermediate tire because they feel that it offers uh, more in terms of grip. Now you would think that a full wet tire that displaces about 80 liters of water, you know, every second <laughs> would be good enough, but it's, it's kind of not. So, I mean, the tires a bit of junk, the full wet, the drivers don't like it. And so essentially if they don't have to start on it, like they, they, they had to during that restart, they were forced to start on it, but they don't have to start on it. They're not going to, I mean, that's just simply the, the way it is. And the drivers will figure it out. I mean, on, on the fly. So if I'm, you know, if, if I'm one of those, one of those drivers, you know, I'm, I am thinking about that wet tire, but I'm also thinking about, okay, how can I get this thing working 
in the right temperature fast enough because there isn't mm-hmm. there wasn't enough laps obviously and there wasn't enough on the formation lap to actually generate enough heat in a full wet tire to even get it working. So I you know feel bad for Carlos Sainz obviously um that was a mistake on, on his part and it's it it could have changed I think the outcome of of the race for sure if he hadn't have gone off and crashed he's mm-hmm. he's had a He's had an up and down season, Kevin. You know, I mean, it started off <laughs> I'd say. Start, started off really tough for him, and um, he went to some pretty great heights. And now it's just been, been a bit of a struggle these past few races for him. Yeah. So Albon and Signs go off almost immediately. Gasly gets a piece of advertising board yes. uh, on his on his uh, on the front of his car. That was strange. Um, it seems to me like nobody really knew what was going on those first few laps, Tim. Yeah, no, and it, you know, for Al, for Alex, you know, that was an engine issue that that put him out. Um, yeah. And then obviously we had Pierre pitting to to get a new nose, and then throwing back out onto the track, and just such a weird coincidence of when the the red flag gets gets thrown and where he is in conjunction with the red flag. It's just it's kind of like that perfect storm. But I think at the end of the day, you know, if we look at this and we we keep talking about the the, the recovery vehicle, I mean, like we're we're all very fortunate nothing happened here. But I also think this is a great learning opportunity mm-hmm. for the drivers in the FIA to maybe come together and start working together more. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I'm curious about the way you saw Max drive today. And obviously the rain changed everything. I mean, there probably wouldn't have been a five second penalty. Leclerc wouldn't have gone off the track, all that stuff. Um, but Chanduk was saying that, you know, there's a, there's a, a wide, there was the grip is, was wider. Um, and so the, the racing lines were quite different. Um, how did Max drive today? How did he take advantage of that kind of thing? Tim? Because it wasn't, even though I, you know, I, I was, I watched the start a couple of times, the initial start and Max got an okay jump, but then by the first corner, obviously, mm-hmm. um, Leclerc had, had, had made, had done a little better. And then over the course of the race, Max just, you know, won on those edges. What did you see from him in, in the rain, uh, and, and sort of the racing lines and, and the approach he took? Yeah, he was absolutely brilliant, uh, on Sunday. I mean, I think, you know, off the start, uh, going around the outside. So, I mean, for, for the listeners who are, are kind of new to racing or new to Formula One, I'll kind of explain it, you know, on, on, during, during the rain, you know, you kind of learn in go-karting and then through the junior formulas that you can't necessarily take a traditional racing line through a corner when the track is, is soaking wet, because mm-hmm. essentially when it hits, when the rain hits, it pulls up all of the oil, everything out of the track, and it makes things really slick on that racing line. But if you can manage to find a way of just getting off that racing line, just a tiny bit, just enough, you get into a lot of debris, tire buildup, and that actually offers quite a bit of grip in the wet. And for for Max on the start of this race, uh, going around the outside, you know, he wasn't going to give up the leads of this race into the first corner from Charles Leclerc. And I thought that that was actually from him that was him sort of putting his authority on this race that, Hey, we're going to go into this corner together side by side. I'm going to take a wet racing line. I'm going to see how this works out. It worked out really well for him, but if, Hey, if things happen, things happen. If we crash together, we crash together. And that's just the way it it kind of rolls from there. And Max just takes off. Like he did such a great job on the Sunday dominated this race in torrential downpour and some of the hardest conditions, you know, a driver, can actually uh, face, and I think for just for for from that point of view for Max, I think it's 
you know, it's really important because we've we've seen different stages of, mm-hmm. of Max Verstappen for so many different seasons. And I think coming off of 2021 and coming into 2022, and you know, you may have noticed this too, Kevin, um, from seeing him in interviews and being around him as well as myself, is that you know, he's much more mature. He has mm-hmm. he has a, a level head about him. And I think one of the other things is the the stress, emotions. And everything that you feel inside of a, a Formula One or a race car itself, you know, those things are always elevated extremely high. And I think he's done a really great job of, of managing that, managing himself, but also managing all of it off track at the same, at the same time. He just mm-hmm. seems so mature to me this season. Um, and yeah, he, he definitely is a deserving champion this year for sure. 100%. All right, let's go through the... the- Results here. So obviously, Max first, Checo second, Leclerc third, obviously because of the penalty. Uh, Ocon fourth, Lewis fifth, Vettel sixth, Alonso seventh, Russell eighth, Latifi with the ninth <laughs> in the wet, the rainmaster, the rainmaker. Uh, and then 10, Lando Norris. Anybody jump out as far as a good drive we haven't brought up yet, Tim? Um, you know, I I, uh, I would like to talk about Nicholas's drive a little bit. I mean, it was... Let's go! It was, was pretty good, man. Stan. I mean, this guy, like, definitely not, like, number one fan or anything like that. I'm not really a fan of any of these guys, but, like, you know, I respect and appreciate what they do, and I'm a fan of great racing. But that being said, um, you know, Nicholas had a hell of a drive today with uh, no tires basically left and no brakes as well. The brakes were pretty much gone on, on, uh, on the Williams. Um, and you know, to hold on to eighth for as long as he did, I think the team did a good job of putting him in a good position to capitalize on that, pitting him as early as they did for the enters on the uh, race restart. Um, but you know, just good on him to hold on to it. Um, you know, cause the team was, was putting a lot of pressure on him over the radio and, and, um, you know, really like, Hey, this is P this is for P nine. We need you to close this out. We need you to close this out. We need you to get it done. Uh, and you know, Finally scores some points this season. They're only two points, but I think, uh, you know, speaking with him after the race, you know, they're important two points for, for him and, and for the confidence, uh, as well. Um, really liked what I saw from, from a lot of drivers this weekend. Uh, Fernando Alonso stands out to me as well. Uh, I mean, this guy keeps getting better with age and, uh, he put in some really great, uh, performances and qualifying, uh, he was pretty brilliant. And in the races as well, him and Sebastian Vettel goes, I don't know if you saw it, but like him and Seb were like side by side to the racing line, dude, when this thing yep. hit the checkered flag, it was awesome. It was awesome. This episode is brought to you by Armor All. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armor All to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by Mobile One. The Mobile One brand knows podcasts are a great escape. You can listen to people talking about living and maybe even driving, but of course there's no substitute for the real thing. 
So the next time you're looking for an escape, try an actual escape. Take this podcast for a ride in the car and immerse yourself in the drive. Because sometimes the best way to escape reality is to truly live in it. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash the ringer to learn more. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, so let's get into what this what this title win means for Max because I think that you know momentum is is obviously so important, and you know you mentioned the maturity part of it. Um, I think it's important that that they were able to overcome the adversity that they were they overcame in the beginning of the year. Now, a lot of that is Ferrari just sort of abdicating their responsibility as a as a as a champion um like you know as a as a contender uh, i guess you could say uh, mercedes was obviously out of it as soon as the um the porpoising took them out but what did you learn about red bull this year tim because i think in this new era of regulations they're going to be just doing everything correct and putting the pressure on every yeah. single team and it's going to take a lot to catch these guys yeah 100% i think a lot of credit also has to go to adrian Newey. i mean the mastermind uh behind building you know, this race car, I think they're very fortunate in the fact that, you know, Adrian's worked a lot with ground effect race cars in his career. And I think yeah. that kind of gave them a bit of a leg up heading into the start of this season. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I think that some people may not necessarily pay attention to, but, you know, it is something to consider. If you look at the start of the season, you know, that, you know, Red Bull was decent. They weren't they weren't great, right? They had a lot of technical issues behind the scenes. Um, and that was plaguing a lot of what was happening mm-hmm. in the beginning races for them that allowed Charlotte Claire to open up a big gap in the driver's um, championship. And then you also, for Max, had a car that didn't necessarily suit his driving style. It was more geared towards you know Sergio. Sergio kind mm-hmm. of liked how that car handled. But he still found a way to make it work. He still found a way to um, make the car quick and still win in a car that didn't necessarily suit him. And I think, you know, those are signs of a, of a world champion. You know, those are signs of some of the, the greater F1 drivers who can figure out how to adapt when things aren't necessarily going their way or the car uh, necessarily doesn't give them the confidence to push Max still kind of found a way to get that so he could stay in the fight and make sure that the gap wasn't getting too extended between himself and Leclerc until the team finally starting to, to dial this car into more along the lines, his driving style. And then you saw the dominance kick in along those lines because you saw Sergio start to struggle because the car was going away from him and it was going more towards Max. But Max obviously taking advantage of that, but also still around for that entire time 
And I think that right there is a sign of, you know, a, a champion. And, and I think like for the team moving forward, I mean, we'll see what happens on Monday, obviously with the, uh, with the cost cap um, certificates being handed out on Monday. Um, you know, it kind of sounds like there, this may have been, this may have been all smoke and, and no fire. So we'll see yeah. what happens. Um, but on the, on that point, I mean, if, you know, nothing were to have happened and no one has broken the rules, that's a good thing for Formula One in terms of the cost cap. And now we can see how these regulations are going to play out because now you're going to have Red Bull's going to have even less time with CFD design, less time in the wind tunnel. And then hopefully we start to get more convergence and get that convergence a little bit sooner, which is going to spice up that on-track action. But, you know, hearing from Max after the race, you know, he even feels that it's going to be difficult. Like it's going to be difficult for them to, yeah. to, to keep to keep winning and to win, to win even another championship. And you know what? I kind of agree with him. It's, it's going to be hard. You know, he's going to be holding off like Lewis Hamilton, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz. He's going to be holding off like George Russell as well at some point in the next few seasons too. Yeah. But it does, it does. It's going to take someone taking a leap forward. And I don't know. I'm going to ask you who that is in a second, but I want to ask you about Max's driving style and the consistency he has. You know, we talked about, yeah, the problems he had this year were were Red Bulls, you know, f- fuel fuel gauge failure, fuel tank failure, that kind of stuff. Like it wasn't it wasn't Max, you know, botching mm-hmm. it or whatever. Mm-hmm. The consistency that he's developed, it's going to have him in the mix for his entire career. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about his his driving style and just quite frankly the lack of mistakes he makes? Well, I think like one of the things that we've seen with Max in the past is is the emotional side and yes, getting that that getting the, the better of him, and I think. He learned a lot in, in 2021. I think having time to reflect on how that 2021 championship sort of went down where there were points where he could have sat back and thought, hey, if I hadn't have been so aggressive at this point, I may have been able to win the championship a race sooner or two races sooner. So I think for him going back and reflecting all of that and taking a look at where this championship might have been able to have been won sooner, I think that helped a little bit maybe if we look at this season, because the level-headedness that he had he had shown throughout 2022, he just seemed like a different driver. Being around him as much as I was able to this season, he just seemed totally different from 2021 Max or 2019 Max or 2018 Max. He just he just seemed calmer, cooler. Mm-hmm. He didn't let things rattle him. And like you had mentioned, great point with consistency as well. And just keeping that consistency and, hey, maybe this isn't your day, but you still need to score some points mm-hmm. and you still need to stay within the title fight. You can't just go out there, get super emotional and do something silly. And so I think on, on that for him is huge because he already has, you know, the, the, the talent, Kevin, like, like, you know, mm-hmm. And I think he knows how to turn on the aggression when he needs to. But I also think now he's kind of learned to pick and choose his battles. Okay. So Constructors Championship, Red Bull, 619 points. Ferrari, 454. Mercedes, 387. Alpine, 143. McLaren, 130. Um, Obviously, we know Red Bull is going to eventually, I guess, you know, it's funny because Horner basically said, I guess we're going to save the big celebration for when they win the Constructors. Uh, Hopefully, we we know in the moment that they're going to clinch the Constructors when it actually happens. Also, Nate Saunders had a good piece. Our buddy Nate Saunders had a good piece today. um, Yes, Nate. Why 
doesn't why don't they give the trophy immediately like that's not, that's also part of the confusion yeah is they don't it, it, like just give him it's like again it's like yeah. stanley cup it's like lombardi trophy yeah give it to them in the moment so they can do the you know, the champions league cup like just just you know lift it up above your shoulders and have everybody do the hey thing like it's great and so i they got to work on their pageantry that's that's my my number one note but having said that um when we're talking about these teams here is there a team in your mind that will make the leap in 2023 and actually challenge Red Bull for the title? Either a driver's title, and, and also, by the way, two separate questions. Driver, is there a driver and a team? And then is there a team? So it's two competitions. Sure. Yeah, I think in terms of the team aspect, I think there's going to be more than one. You know, I think I think it'll be Ferrari and it'll be Mercedes. I really do. Yeah, I, think, I think so too. I think in 2023, we actually are going to see more of a convergence with those top three teams. And, you know, hearing from Mercedes and hearing how confident they are in what they need to do and what they need from this race car in the next season, I think they've started to really figure this thing out. And I mean, if you're a Red Bull or Ferrari, that's a scary thing because it's Mercedes, man. You know, <laughs> you know they're going to be coming, right? Um, and then on the other side of that, for for drivers, I really like what George Russell did this season. I mean, having a teammate like Lewis Hamilton can't be easy. And especially mm -hmm. if he's like your, your hero or your idol or someone you look up to, that's got to be a little weird, right? When you're going in there and facing, mm -hmm. you know, someone like that. I remember I was, you know, sitting down and I was talking to George uh, about, about that. And I said, you know, look, mm -hmm. like you get to sit down with Lewis Hamilton and you get to talk to him every single day. I mean, what is that like? And I think, and for him... He basically explained that, you know, in his first few, his first few weeks working with the team and sitting down, you know, you know, got Lewis beside you. It's just, it was a little weird to try and work your way into the conversation of this is what I need from the car. This is what I needed to needed to do, et cetera, et cetera. But he did such a great job of managing a really hard situation mm -hmm. where the car's not working well. It's just not your teammates, Lewis Hamilton, your boss is total wolf. And like, you can't mess this up, dude. And I think for George having that pressure and then also on top of that, you know, dealing with the Williams car and how difficult that car was to drive, man, for so many seasons, I think that that helped him a lot this season just to push through and find things that worked for him faster than maybe Lewis was able to until finally you know, Lewis started to, to catch of up course. and close that gap and, and figure it out himself. I am very excited to watch those two uh, race each other next year. I think that's going to be an incredible story. Ooh. And I also think that Mercedes is so fortunate to have two drivers of this caliber on their team. And I think if you're like Red Bull or Mercedes, I mean, no Red Bull's got Verstappen. He's incredible. Mm -hmm. Perez, when the car's working for him, right, Kevin, he's, he's solid. He's there. Mm -hmm. The car's not working for him. Sometimes he's not really there. And I really like Sergio Perez. So when you look at Ferrari, you have Charles Leclerc, who incredibly fast, super talented, sometimes makes mistakes, but Ferrari makes a lot of mistakes. And then you have Mercedes Oh, and Carlos Sainz. I can't, I can't forget about Carlos. You know, when Carlos is on, he's incredible and one of the best drivers on the grid. But for, for George and for Lewis, those are two drivers who are always on, right? And that's got to be a scary thing, I think, if you're Red Bull or, or Ferrari. All right, so there's four races left. Austin in two weeks. 
Mexico, Brazil, Abu Dhabi. I think that there are, and it's funny because Nate and I had that conversation a couple weeks ago. How do you, how do you add, up the intrigue when the title race yeah. is decided? Yeah. And there were a couple, you know, maybe some people have floated some sort of playoff system. I would never go for that ever, ever, ever. I think it's a terrible idea. But what I think would add to the intrigue, especially in the last, let's say, two races, is if some of these guys who are going to be in 2023 cars get to start early. If we could see Nick DeVries uh, in an Alpha Tauri, that sort of thing. I'd be more intrigued with that. Um, are you? Are, what are you looking for in these these next four races, knowing we're not going to see anything special like that? Uh, and and kind of what what do you anybody you're, you're watching closely? Anybody you think has something to prove? Um, where are you going with these these four races, Tim? Yeah, I think like uh, you know we we start there, there is a couple things. I mean, I mean, I have some ideas about the points system, but we get into that later. No, let's, um, let's do it now. Okay, here's my thing. But but I think I also think we need to talk about the driver market because that's going to get pretty good. Yes, soon. of course. So here's my thing with the with the point system. I appreciate the fact that they want to award points from you know first to to tenth, and you know in years past it was it was more it was less than that. Excuse me. I think what you do is you keep the point structure the same from second place to 10th, mm-hmm. but for first place, you subtract three points. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you're now getting a field that's just a little bit closer. I mean, if you're second place and you're getting 18 points, and if you're first place and you're only getting 22, then the gap doesn't like blow itself open super fast. I mean, that's, I think... Is is what happens when teams make these little mistakes? Is that the points gap just gets too big, too fast, and it's harder for teams to close that up? I think like you need to try and find a way of limiting—I don't want to say limiting the amount of points a winner can get, but like <laughs> you know, taking some away so that gap doesn't seem insurmountable to other teams and other drivers to try and close it down a bit and make things a little bit more entertaining. I mean, if you look at IndyCar. The past, oh boy, I don't even know. I, I would, I would say the past five, six, seven years, the, the championships come down to the last race of the season. They offer double points at the Indy 500, and then, you know, for a time there, you know, they were also offering the double points for uh, the final race of the season. Formula One did experiment with that, and it didn't go according to plan, but I still think it is something to take a look at as well. I just think the point system needs to be restructured somehow so we can try and get these races you know, coming down to the last, you know, two to three races instead of having them be so far and win a championship. Um, yeah, but yeah but, that's my but, thing. That's but, my only thing on the point system. But let me push back on that. Yeah, absolutely. If there's a dominant champion and he sure. clinches early, I don't think we need to, to gamify that. I don't think we need to add in fireworks to that. Like that just, that just happens. And it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but if you're a dominant champion, that's the luxury you get. You don't have to worry about the last four races of the year. You've wrapped it up. Lewis Hamilton did it. Michael Schumacher did it. That's what you get to do. Jimmy Johnson, For sure. you know, in, in NASCAR, obviously they have the playoffs, so it's different, but it's like he just cruised to seven straight titles or whatever it was, <laughs> right? And and it, it, you, you get you get that luxury. You get to relax a little bit. That's that that's just the way it goes. I mean, think about the English Premier League. Like, how often does someone clinch with two, three games to go? Like that, that's that's what you get. And you get to parade around and you get the the honor guard or whatever, and and you get to have an a, you know an, a luxurious end of season run up. But if you're a fan though, right? And you're paying to go to the Brazilian Grand Prix, yes. and now there is nothing literally up for grabs, 
I think, uh, you know, you may be saying something else, right? Because it's like, why am I, why am I going to the race? Right. I'm going to go watch a race, but what are the story implications? Like you had perfectly had mentioned. Right. So right. that's why, that's why I think like if they can find a way of, of just keeping it competitive close to the end of the season, I mean, I'm not talking like making sure that it comes down to the wire, but keeping it a little closer towards the end of the season. I mean, I think it's, I just think that's important, but Hey, what do I know, man? Right. I, I don't, it's, it's a hard problem to solve because it always feels like we're fighting the last war. Right. Yeah. For like, sure. Whatever, whatever we're going through, whatever problem needs to be solved. It's like, well, let's change everything based on this. And it's like, well, okay. But what about this? This is, I mean, like college football, their playoff all the time. It's like, you know, a lot of times there's only two teams that should play in the national championship. So what do you do about the playoff? You know? So it's, it's, it's a moving target. It's hard. It's impossible. I'm just For glad sure. I don't have to deal with it. Let's talk, about the dri- let's, let's talk about the driver market. I'm glad my words have no consequences whatsoever. I can say whatever I want. That's wonderful. No consequences um, for me. No consequences at all. I just get to say it. It evaporates into thin air. Maybe somebody like a year from now says, says, says I said something on a podcast and a tweet. I'm like, what? Um, hey, Kevin, remember when you said this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no? I don't. Um, all right. So let's talk about the driver market. Nick DeVries goes to Alpha Tauri. Pierre Gasly goes to Alpine. Um, this was all expected. Daniel Ricardo, I guess. I mean, it, a, a month ago, it seemed like he, would, he was going to find a seat somewhere. He's going to take the next year off from being a permanent F1 driver. Um, your big takeaway from the last week of driver movement is what, Tim? Yeah, I found out that, uh, you know, Ricardo was going to be back on the grid about a month ago, only because the fact that Alpine took a, such a strong interest in trying to get Pierre Gasly out of his yeah. Alpha Tauri uh, deal, but Alpha Tauri hinging on the, on the, uh, on the prospect of getting Colton Herta. And uh, I got pretty heavily involved in that story. So I could obviously with Colton Herta, you know, it's a great story and he's a great driver and I'd love to see him in formula one. And I think he deserves to be there for sure at the super license points. So that's just another conversation for another time. Um, I, you know, looking at this moving forward, I I feel, you know, we have two race seats left. We have Williams and we have Haas for Ricardo. I don't think necessarily you want to go to either one of those. And if you can find a way of turning yourself into a reserve driver at one of these teams, maybe Mercedes, you know, maybe that helps you find a seat for 2024. I just think the issue with that is when you're a racing driver, you need to be racing and it's hard to take a season off and then come back and be either competitive or get someone interested in you and getting into a car seat. On the other side of things, I think things are going to be exciting down at Williams. I have, uh, from my understanding, Doralton, you know, really wants American Logan Sargent in in that seat. And I think he's probably going to get it. And that, for me is, uh, I think that's great. I mean, I've known Logan for quite a while and he's a great driver and, and, uh, yeah, I'd like to see him get a shot for sure at Haas. It's an interesting situation, Kevin, because yeah, I don't, I don't see Mick Schumacher coming back, man. I, I just think mm. he's off the grid next season. I don't, I don't see him there. I think they go with someone like Antonio Giovinazzi or they bring in Nico Hulkenberg or they go in another direction just from like, you know, he crashes in, free practice one on Friday and, you know, Gunther has warned him about the crashes in the past. And, you know, Mick is saying one thing at the end of this crash about why he crashed because of there was cars in front and the spray. And Gunther's basically saying, look, he crashed the car fair and square and that's it. And Mm -hmm. this is what we got. So you have two separate people saying two separate things. And I don't, it just doesn't seem good, man. I don't, I don't see Mick on the grid next season, which is a shame, really. I mean, I think 
to get a true understanding of an F1 driver, especially in this day and age of F1, I think you need about three seasons to get a good understanding for what you got. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's going to be tough on, on his side. What, what do you think? I th- I agree with you about Logan Sargent Williams. That's been rumored for a while. I don't know where Haas goes with this. I truly don't. I'm not their their situation is such that it's hard for me to make any predictions. I mean, think about what they started with this year and what they ended up with, and all the Bazepin weirdness. And I mean, I I don't. I it's it's hard for me to predict anything with Haas. Um, I do think Lord Logan Sargent getting on the grid is great. Do, do you um? So you follow IndyCar closely. Who yeah. is Actually, like right now, the better driver for Formula One, Colton Herta or Logan Sargent? Um, that's a great question. I think in terms like Logan's talented, Colton's really talented. Like Col- mm-hmm. Colton is like like he's he's sort of he's special, right? Okay. I think the, the problem for you know parachuting Colton Herta into a Formula One season, you know, like they were planning, is the fact that he has to learn the tire, learn separate new situations, learn, you know, a new steering wheel in particular. I mean, that's incredible, you know, amount of information he has to take in within a year. Uh, not only that, but learning the car, the dynamics, how it works, how to get the speed out of it, how to maintain the tire. I think it would have been challenging for Colton just to like drop into formula one. I think Mm -hmm. when you go through the ladder system that formula one does offer, you know, Formula 4, Formula 3, Formula 2, you learn different things on that ladder system that are going to help you when you get into Formula 1. If you take Formula 2, for for example, I mean, the different types of tires that they've uh, had to learn and how to manage and deal with, and, and same also for Formula 3, I should say. Um, you're a little bit more prepared on that front. And I think mm-hmm. for an F1 driver, now that you know, these regulations have come in, these cars are actually very difficult to drive and get the lap time out of, but it's also really hard to get, to get a a good understanding of the actual tire itself. It's really hard. And so I think Logan would be best suited at this point to, to jump into that seat. Hmm. It's, it's fascinating. I'm intrigued to see it. I'm intrigued to see. I also think it's going to be funny when Logan gets in that seat and go ahead. Think of it. Sorry, sorry, Kevin, think of it this way. Okay. So in IndyCar, you're getting um, you're getting a hard tire and a soft tire, mm-hmm. and both of those tires you can go flat out on. There is no management in IndyCar; it's just flat out on the limit racing. Sometimes races are literally like qualifying laps the entire thing, and they can push hard on it. In Formula One, it's a little different. You have your prep lap before you do your push lap and qualifying, and then the tire is basically toast. After that, and then in the race, it's a lot of management. You got to look after the car. You got to look after um, the tire. You have to learn. You have to learn how to manage not only the fuel, the, but but the battery rate at the same time, and then how much fuel to use, when to use it. Same with the battery, when to deploy. And I think there's a lot more of that that is very challenging for a new driver to just get dropped into formula one and actually learn, you know, you need simulator time, you need many hours of it. You need to be driving different types of tires and how to manage all of those tires. So it's just a different form of racing, um, from IndyCar to, to F1. And that's another reason why I just think it'd be a little more challenging for Colton to learn, but he would eventually, I feel would eventually come around and figure it out. I'm excited for Logan Sargent to get the seat and the people who started watching F1 two years ago not know how many American F1 drivers there have been. 
It's going to be great. Yes. It's going to just a <laughs> bunch of people. Wow, finally an American driver. And it's like, oh, okay, well, look it up. It's, it's good, though, because there's lots of Americans, like even in lower categories yes. as well. Right. And that's, yeah. you know, that's that's great. I think that's incredible. Love it. Tim Haraney. Anything else on this race, buddy? Uh, you know, brother, I've been up uh, for almost 24 hours. I think we nailed it. We nailed it. We nailed it. Thank you to Eric Cervantes for production help. Thank you to Tim Haraney for stopping by. We'll probably do a episode this week. I don't know. Don't hold me to that. We actually had an F1 driver booked uh, who might come on, and that's up in the air right now. But we'd love, we'd love to get him for you. Uh, anyway, this has been the Ringer F1 Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.